pre-recorded <laughs> uh the throne podcast episode 118 i am joined here live what's going on what's going on brother yo thanks for having me back the, how long has it been you were just talking about february it? of 19 you had me in here so i moved to miami in april of 18 so i hadn't lived here but a year you know so damn taylor yeah, you James really blessed Davis, me man, man. so now, so you were here very recently, maybe about a year before you came on the show, just in South Florida? Uh, yeah, well, I lived in Fort Myers for a long time, okay. like for like eight or nine years. I moved away to Alabama for a couple years, and then I moved back. Uh, I moved to Miami April 7th of, um, of 2018. It was not long after that bridge collapsed over on, uh, on oh, 8th the, Street. Yeah, campus, I live right, right there, 8th Street and 122nd, so... Oh, fuck. Yeah, so it wasn't that long, you know, from the time I moved here to when I was sitting down with you the first time, so. Wow. Um, well, a lot has happened since you've been on yeah, the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, a lot has happened. Let's, let's. Uh, I mean, other than, obviously, you know, COVID and all that shit, you did just recently drop a project. Yeah, a couple of days ago. What's today? The fourth? Three, day, three days ago. So, now, that project, how long has it been in the works? Because I know... Even when you were here, you were talking about doing a lot of live shows, a lot of road gigs. Mm -hmm. When did you actually sit down and start to, to write this? Well, almost two years ago, uh, I recorded this song called The Devils Are Here. And I think I might have played it when I was here before. I'm not quite sure. But I, as soon as I did that song, I was like, oh, you know, this is the start of a new record. You could just feel that. And um, then I just wrote these songs, you know, very slowly and uh, let them marinate tried to develop this uh, ability to sit something down, step away from it, and come back. And uh, I think I became good at that so much that I let things sit for a little too long. So then I was like, you know what, right. I've had this song forever. It's time to finish it up. So uh, I put that out maybe almost two years ago. And then six months or a year after that, I put out the second single. So it was a year in between the two singles, which is way longer than I would have liked. And then I was like, you know what, I want to have something by the end of 2020, if not the very, very beginning of 2021, because right. I've been in Miami, this April will be three years, and I had to put out a new record, you know, so it was time. It was past time, so uh, I'm glad to finally have it out. So, I mean, let's talk about it, man. It's called uh, At Night in the Dark. Yes, sir. And uh, it's uh, obviously a, a record that the first first vibe I got off of it was uh, Bob Dylan. Very, like, well, thank me. you. That's kind of the vibes that I got. And th it's funny, the the last time you were here, you, you mentioned that was kind of one of your uh, inspirations, kind of in a way, someone that... Yeah, I mean, Dylan, you know, this is a fantastic, um, huge influence. Him, people like Springsteen, Tom Petty, Jackson Brown. Right. Those are the biggest ones, probably. But, um, yeah, I think the only song that I hear, even though there's people been been uh, big influences... Uh, in my previous music, you don't hear them as much. You hear uh, like a combination of, on the the previous record, uh, Golden Age Syndrome, it was a combination of kind of how I got started, which was like in storytelling hip-hop music when I was like 17, 18, a long time ago. So that cadence of, you know, lyricism 
mixed with kind of rock and roll music was the last record, uh, which is really kind of my own thing. Uh, but then I realized, hey, you know what? I want to sing more, less lyrics. The problem with my previous record was some of the songs, uh, there's so many lyrics and you the music is there's a lot of production on it so then to try to strip those songs down and play them acoustically is very difficult there's only a few of them that I actually play live off the last record so I was like you know what now because of playing live so much I want to write an album that I can comfortably play live you know that that has an impact with fewer words and I think that's something that uh, Dylan you know, had to battle in his youth as he transitioned into like the late 60s, early 70s was less lyrics, more punch, Springsteen the same way. Uh, Mad Men, Drummers, Bummers, Indians in the Summer with the Teenage Diplomat, you know, that's that was early Bruce and then later Bruce was less words with the same punch. So I was really, really focused on that and um, I think I did that this time, hopefully. So, so uh, I remember that, uh, are you saying that specifically because I wasn't a big Bob Dylan fan? Uh, and since then, I'm not necessarily the biggest Bob Dylan yeah. fan, but I've definitely certainly uh, grown an appreciation for his voice and, and his music. So uh, it definitely allowed me to to come and listen to your record with like a open ears and open mind more because I think probably around the time that I interviewed you, I probably would have been less receptive to to this kind of music. Yeah. Not that I don't like ballads or I don't no, like acoustic course, yeah. songs. Uh, it's just like um, I don't know. Like it's very, it was very Dylan esque, and thank you. Yeah, I don't that's know, man. Compliment I, fuck with for, it. That's, yeah, yeah. I take that as a compliment. Uh, uh, you I know don't know I, if it's the harmonica and the guitar or the the vocal style, but uh, or maybe like you said, it was the songwriting, the cadence and stuff. Uh, it's not like you were doing some of the same flows, but you can just, I could just, I could just. That's what I heard. Like, yeah, that inspiration. Yeah, yeah, and and I think Dylan is in a, a category of people that. You know, like to say that I know Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, catalog up and down, it would be a lie. To say that I'm a huge Jimi Hendrix fan would be a lie, too. Not that I don't appreciate his music, but I think Hendrix, people like Janis Joplin, uh, there's some people that don't even like the Stones, which is hard to believe, but there's people that don't like the Stones or don't like the Beatles. There's a whole book about how the Beatles are overrated, you know? So there's a is small really? crowd. Yeah, yeah. There's a small crowd out there that doesn't like people that everybody likes, but... I think they all, all these people that I mentioned, Stones, Dylan, Beatles, they all fit at Janis Joplin. They all fit in a category of, well, there's something about these folks to be appreciated. You know, even if you're in metal music or you're in hip hop music, you know, uh, I hear the earliest uh, hip hop song, the earliest rap lyrics is uh, Dylan's uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues. Uh, Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement. Think about the government. Nobody was cadencing that way before Dylan until, you know, Public Enemy and people like that. So. Uh, I get a lot of people that say, you know, oh, you know, I'm even my own dad. When I asked my dad about Bob Dylan when I was young, he said, oh, that he can't sing, you know. <laughs> so that was my introduction oh, to okay. Dylan. And uh, luckily, I, I didn't listen to my dad, which was kind of a theme at the time. <laughs> and uh, I picked up a copy of both of his greatest hits, Volume 1 and 2, at a Goodwill. And I just wore him out, you know, Mr. Tambourine Man, Masters of War, uh, Positively Fourth Street, Queen Jam Approximately. You know, so he's had a huge influence on me because... Uh, no other songwriter in the history of songwriters has won a Nobel Prize, you know. So he's uh, he's a pretty, I didn't even know that. Pretty yeah, pretty crazy, you know. He uh, he's one of those few, you know. And there's a few women that are like that: Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, um, 
you know, just excellent writers. And I, I always looked at it as no one will ever mistake me for the greatest guitar player they've ever seen. No one will say, man, he has a great voice. I, I use my voice well enough to support the songs. So I figured I had to have an avenue, you know, and the avenue became a, a while ago. I knew I just wanted to people to hear the songs and say, man, what great lyrics, you know, and I hope that's what they do. So, yeah, I think um, we probably... I mentioned it on the show a lot, so I've probably said this before, but most of the time when I really connect with um, uh, like a piece of music, uh, it's very much so about the lyrics for me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm all in for like a, a good riff or, you know, a good lick or course, a good yeah. dope beat or whatever. Uh, or obviously some sick drums because, you know, I play the drums. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I know you. I, I know about your, your when you're not doing this, I, I saw some of your drumming. You're, you're a fantastic yeah. drummer. So. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, so, uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> it's, it's the wine. It's the caber, Cabernet. What is this? Yeah, it's, it's Cabernet like, Sauvignon. It's uh, red. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm a red guy. I'm more of a Merlot, or not Merlot, um, Moscato. Well, hopefully I'll see you again before two years, and if I do, I'll bring a Moscato when I come back. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, so uh, I, I'm really about the lyrics. So yeah. um, what, what I did here, I didn't uh, get to listen to the entire album. I probably listened to the first four or five tracks Yeah. Uh, just because time constraints I got out of work at four. Yeah, of course, yeah. But, um, yeah, what I did here I thought was dope. Um, I just think, you know, it was a bit of... Uh, like uh, sad man. Uh, what, what are some of the inspiration for these songs, man? I, mean, I hear were, that were you all the going time. To a, I hear through that all a tough time. time no, they they all deal with different. Every song deals with a different aspect of mental health. Um, and I think the "At Night in the Dark" is a positive song. Um, I gotta I gotta always look really hard. And in in each, in each song, there are positive things in it. But yeah, they do have like what kind of man song uh, track number five is a really somber tone, but it's a true story about uh, my friend who lost his son at a very early age to brain tumor, never really got a chance to know him. And I was so impacted by the things he was telling me. And, uh, so that was a form of mental health that people don't talk about. You know, not everyone has to deal with, obviously. Thank God. And um, Wow, that's terrible. Man. Yeah, terrible. Uh, After the Fire was one that uh, was about, I was watching this documentary about people that were surviving forest fires in California and Oregon. And um, uh, I just took some of those lines from those people and, and put them in songs and then crafted other lines around it. Uh, one of the ladies says, we don't know how long this will last. You know, we don't know what we think we once knew, you know, and I literally took that verbatim and then created a story around that. So uh, that's a type of mental health that some of us don't know, but it all ranges around mental health. Black Dog was about uh, Churchill said that that uh, obviously me hanging out at Churchill so much and, and working there, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. Uh, Churchill said that, that depression followed him like a black dog and it would disappear and it would come back, but no one ever saw it but him. You know, and he would say things like, that people should pay attention to him when a train passes by because, you know, he might jump in front of the train. This was a world leader, you know, talking like this. So even the highest of the high deal with these things. Uh, Cold in July was about, uh, you know, finally reaching a point of acceptance with the previous relationship. And uh, one of the lines is, in it is that when, when you look back, you'll see that what we had wasn't a lie. So even though that might seem sad, that's a point of realization and growth that you've you've reached that that thing so yeah there might be a somber tone throughout it but i think that if you if you dig deep enough you see that uh 
there's a maturity from the last record. I just, you know, I did write a lot of sad songs because I kind of was sad. But now I feel like I'm probably the happiest I've ever been. But I do understand those emotions. I deal with my own mental health. And even more so in the last couple of years, I had moments that were just like, shit, I've never dealt with this before. What is this all about? And in the way that the therapeutic, I'm sure you can understand as a musician, that the music is more therapeutic than you could ever pay any therapist to be. So Yeah, no, for sure, man. Um, I, and as much as I hear people talk about um, going to therapy and that being a healthy uh, way to maybe work through some of the, the mental health problems that people face on a daily, I do feel like, uh, like you said, a lot of the therapy for me is listening to music, putting on a record, um, resonating with some songs that, you know, mean a lot to me or covering them like by myself, you know, like playing yeah. guitar and singing or whatever. Uh, do you ever, is that like an escape for you or is it yeah, mainly it's cathartic. Like a hobby? It's cathartic. No, I don't, I'm not a, me and my buddy Ambery Johnny, we, we had this phrase that we, uh, have kept between us. He's a great local musician. And, um, we said, uh, we're not casual players, you know. Uh, a lot of the times, we saw my friend Ryan Rachel, before we were all friendly, we go to a lot of shows to see people, you know, and just try to have that experience, something that thrills you. And uh, we both looked at each other and we said, man, he's having a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, I said, do you think that we look like we're having fun? He's like, probably not. You know, we, we take it really serious. And to me, it's, you know, it's everything. Uh, I, when I write songs, I don't make them just because I say, oh, this is going to be fun. No, I, a lot of the album is stressful, making a record by yourself. I self-produced the record for the first time. Stressful. You know, a lot of the times at the end of the day, you hate the songs. You know, I don't want to hear this thing again. I want to throw it out, you know, because you... You just have nobody sit and work on it. Yeah, all day. too much, and you have no one in there to say that's good. Leave it alone. Right. So you do it four or five hundred times, you know, and but then just have somebody. For me, the real thrill is getting somebody to hit you up and say, "Man, you know, I've thought this forever, never said it, you know, and this really had an impact on me." Or um, I played that with my wife, and we danced in the living room. Or I washed dishes to this, took my kids to school to this. You know, you you want to be a small soundtrack even to somebody's life, even in a minor way. You know, so no, I, I have fun. You know, live is the most fun that I have in my life. But uh, I don't think that I do it for fun. If that makes any sense, I enjoy reaping the rewards of playing new songs live, meeting right. new musicians, watching a musician that has an impact on you. But I think I do it like it's life or death. <laughs> right. It's, um, it's very serious to me. So so how does someone who, uh, like you said, I mean, the thing you enjoy most is doing live uh, shows. How, how did you cope with uh, the clubs being shut down and, you know, Churchill's dealing with what it's been dealing with, management problems yeah. and evictions or whatever the it's fuck's a, it's going a mess, on over really. there? It's, it's, um, and then clubs shutting down, too. I mean, uh, I really like las rosas right yeah. now but i don't know what's going on over there um yeah i haven't seen a show there probably since february or march yeah, it's gonna be a few months i talked to the owner recently and she's a friend and uh it's gonna be a few months before they do anything i think they're just worried that uh all Can they the, even open just to serve drinks yeah right yeah now? they're Our open right now for open? drinks and and okay. for people to hang out but not for shows which is kind of seems like kind of productive but i think that yeah. uh i think the biggest thing is is that for a long time uh, venues, especially the two that you mentioned, they were putting on shows that 
you know, I believe in Churchill's case, most of the shows were financial losses. And, you know, they only had a handful of shows that were really, you know, making money. And it was okay to do that, apparently, before COVID. Now it's not okay to do that. You know, you can't afford to lose any more money after the year that these places have had. So I think, you know, and this is just pure opinion, you know, I think that maybe that's why there's hesitation from Rosas and other places to to start, you know, experiment. Because shows, really, when you get somebody to come to you and say, I want to put on a show, that's an experiment. How's it going to go? Can you promote properly? Can you bring people? A lot of the times you can play, play a killer show, but you don't promote. You don't bring anybody. You know, pe- the people that do come, they don't put into the bar. They don't buy drinks. They don't buy food. And then it doesn't matter if you played as good as the Stones or somebody like that. Unfortunately, you know, it's there is a business element. And if you don't come in with that business mind, then you will. It's going to come to you if you don't come to it. And uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, it's it's extremely difficult. How have I got through it? Uh, alcohol. Uh, <laughs> uh, making the record. You know, I was playing live so much. If it wasn't for playing live, I probably would have finished the record sooner. So I was thinking, well, I'm home. You know, what am I going to do? And there's no going anywhere. My two favorite places to play in New Jersey and Miami is locked down big time. I've been lucky. I've had some opportunities at, at Bar Nancy. Bar Nancy is really leading the way right now in post-COVID uh, I saw post-COVID they did the shows. garage uh, little get-together. Yeah, they got my, my good buddy, uh, Uncle Scotchy, Eric Garcia, is doing a storytelling night there on Wednesdays, doing a phenomenal job. And at first, I, when he was telling me about the idea, I was like, man, you know, this is storytelling is really what I do. And I was thinking, I don't know how this is going to fare, especially on a Wednesday night, which you and I both know Tuesday and Wednesday nights are probably the toughest. Oof, um, to and, get someone to come out? Yeah. For sure. And I was I was worried for him. And now he's killing it. You know, he's killing. He's bringing in comedians and he's bringing in musicians to tell stories and uh People from all different walks of life, people that have maybe never told stories before. Uh, and he started a podcast out of it, has a great podcast. People come to the show each week. Uh, I saw my friend Sergio Mendez, a comedian, do some comedy there um, maybe about three or four weeks ago. And the place was packed. You know, it felt like if you could escape for a second that COVID wasn't going on. So, yeah, it's very, very difficult. You know, I did live streams for a while, but. I think if that was what live was, I would be way less interested. I, <laughs> I have to have the human-to-human connection. And somebody yeah. come to you after the set and say, you know, oh, I love that. Or, oh, I hated that, and here's why. Like, I want to have that conversation. You know, I want to I want to, whatever the reaction is, I want to feel it. You know, I, I played a cover song about Tucson, Arizona, um, one of the last nights before COVID struck. And uh, this couple came up to me. I had no idea, of course. You couldn't even have planned this. And they were like, we're from Tucson, you know, we're in town visiting. We stopped at this bar. You did a song, but I, I love that stuff. You know, that's the reason meeting new people on the road, creating new friends, people that hit you up and say, Hey, when's the next show? Hey, when's the record coming out? What are you doing? You know, I, I like that. That's the real connection for me. And not having that has been very difficult, but I try to focus and channel as much as that energy as possible into finishing the, the new record. So. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what all uh, artists were doing at this time is pretty much just getting in line and uh, uh, staying home and finishing records, finishing projects, EPs, whatever they could do in-house. Because at the end of the day, like if you can't play shows, you might as well put out a record or put out a single or do some kind of promotional work, a music video, if you can find enough people to film one that's decent. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I don't blame you, man. Uh, this is definitely the perfect time to take advantage of something like that to finish a record. Uh, I think the only drawback is that you know you can't tour it. You can't. Uh, I'm going to tour it this year. I don't care what I got to do. I don't care where I have to go or what I have to do. You know, I 
I did a lot in COVID. You know, I did a uh, limited edition podcast series uh, to where I gathered together 33 songs from different artists that I knew from uh, most in this country, some of my friends, you know, making music overseas. And I wrote these two-minute monologues. Uh, it was called the Local Sounds Podcast. It's on, like, SoundCloud and YouTube and stuff. And I would do these two-minute monologues of how I met this artist, the impact they had on me the first time I saw them live, uh, how to follow them on social, all that stuff. Then we would play the song. Then when the song was over, I'd go into another artist. And we did three episodes, 11 songs each, and people got to hear hip-hop music they'd never heard before, rock and roll music, folk music, soul music, uh, all different types of, of music. There was no genre uh, constrictions on it. And uh, so that was fun. I had a blast doing that. Um, I revived the podcast in December to do some interviews with people to talk about them, talk about my new record. So I did as much as I could. I did a bunch of live streams, online charity events, uh, as much as I could do. And then I got to a point with the live streams, I was like, I'm tired of doing this. You know, right. this is not really what I got into it for. So I don't care in the new year if I got to go to Billings, Montana, or wherever I have to go to to do live. That's what I'm going to do. The, the new record, everyone said, ah, don't, you know, hold off on the new record, sit on it. I was like, no, you know what? People have been sitting around at home, and one of the things I look for is new music right now. So I was like, you know what? There's people out there that are the same way. They're looking for new music from whoever, you know, and the people that do support me are like, Jesus Christ, it's been two years since a new record. When are we going to get a new record? So I was cognizant of that, thinking, damn, it's time. It's past time. So, um yeah, I'm definitely going to try to tour, as, even if it's, you know, whatever it is, bookstores or whatever we can do, <laughs> you know, whatever we can do. I got I to gotta yeah. get out of the house. I think um, that one of the advantages of doing what you do is that you can tour pretty much by yourself, you know. More cost effective, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely cost effective, but it's also, like... Uh, fucking uh flake proof like you don't have anyone that you're worried about oh man mikey can't make it you know he's you know he's a drummer he's he may make it he may not you know what i mean he works yeah. you don't got to worry about that shit you know that you're committed you'll be at the show and that's all you need you're not at the show waiting for your bandmate to show up 10 minutes before you're supposed to go on or whatever yeah yeah and, and i've been uh, i've been lucky you know i have a little band we played a couple shows just experimenting, you know, we, we played on the west coast of Florida and uh, got paid like a real band, so we like to consider that we're a real band, but uh, I got a young kid who's great, he just turned 21, his name's Brandon Robbie, he helped me a little bit with the record, and he was on that uh, Black Dog song, and mm -hmm. also on Drowning at the end of the record, and then I have a great drummer, Khalil, who plays with Ryan Rachel, he plays with uh, a lot of other musicians, they, they are usually hubbed at the spot in Wynwood, and... Uh, so, but yeah, it is a lot more responsibility because no one is ever, if you're leading a band, yeah, no one is ever going to work harder at it than you're going to work hard at it. And that's, that's a good thing, but it's also, you know, that, you know, that that's the facts and that has its elements to it. And I think that, uh... I, I like it. You know, I'm, I think I'm going to take Brandon on the road with me, so it'll be the two of us. But he's reliable, you know, and you have to have people that are reliable. If not, then there's no point. I, it, there is a bit of, of control with it that if I'm going to choose this path of musicianship and I'm going to choose this career, then, then I have to be able to control the elements of it, like who I have in. who's Who do I put on my team that's going to take it seriously, you know, because it's difficult. They say bands come together in a miraculous way and they fall apart just as miraculously. You never understand. I don't know how we all came together. 
And then you hear people say, I don't know why we fell apart. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah. I like having a band, but I like playing solo too. It's two totally different things, you know. Right. Yeah, I've I've um wanted to get into that. Like uh I don't remember when. Uh I want April twenty eighteen around that time. Uh I picked up guitar for a little bit. Um and uh, you know, uh I really enjoy playing guitar and covering songs on my own and whatnot, but I Oh, there goes my phone. <laughs> I always feel like, um, I don't know, like playing out uh, and, and, you know, I, I never could like play a song probably like perfectly 100% through probably like 98, 99. Nobody you see can. <laughs> I know, but that, like I feel like they could pull it off more like they, like you don't know that they fucked up. Like on the drums, I could fuck up and, and make it look like I didn't. Yeah. I'm not that good at guitar yet. <laughs> to yeah. Make, to fuck up and make I, it look I fuck like up I on didn't. the guitar all the time. You know, I'm. But you probably keep a straight face. Sometimes, sometimes you get that oh shit look like, but <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell my girl when we get home, I'll say, you know, I fucked up on that E minor. And she's like, nobody paid attention to that, you know, but uh, I always imagine that there's a, a critic of musicians out there like, oh, that's not the right chord that you go to next. Yeah, you know? that's, that's flat right there. Man. That's an A minor. You got E minor. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not the arrangement you were playing the last <laughs> loop around, you know, so, you know, and, and, I mean, you think they would notice though, because you're usually you're, you're with a crowd of musicians as well when you're doing the open mic nights or even most local shows really the crowd's going to be a lot of local musicians because all the bands are there yeah yeah and nobody goes out and sees live music more than live musicians <laughs> you know because they're yeah. there i i think that the best live musicians see a lot of shows they don't right. just uh, you can't just show up at your show Fact. and i see it all the time and i uh, it's i have my pet peeves you know i've been in the scene long enough to have my pet peeves about things i see you know and i think that if you just come to your shows and then you expect people to come to your shows, uh, that's that's very difficult. You know, if somebody comes to my show, I can look out in the audience and say, I've seen you 10 times in the last couple months, you know, or I've seen you at shows. Uh, that's uh, the audience that we've kind of built is. If it's not musicians in the crowd, then it's people that they just support live, you know. And uh, musicians, when I came to town, that were the biggest musicians, whether in what I did or what, uh, or in bands or something like that, they were the biggest. You know, they were being written about up, uh, written up about in the paper, and their songs were everywhere. Some of those bands don't even exist anymore. Some of those players, they don't exist anymore because. Uh, it wasn't just about playing good, you know, it was about supporting the community. And um, sometimes I feel like, you know, oh, I don't feel like going out tonight. But I always try to push myself to go because a lot of the times when you don't feel like going and you do show up, folks say, oh, man, I'm so grateful you came out. And that is worth more than anything, you know, and people remember that. And then they come to your shows and they bring a couple people with them. And uh, you always wonder if your mindset is correct, you know. I, I, and uh, I, I booked on a Monday, I booked, uh, I'm having an album release show in six days at um, a backroom session spot called The Cabin right next to the Marlins Stadium. And I started selling tickets Monday night, and by Friday, I sold out of the tickets. And most of the people that, that bought the tickets, probably almost all of them, they support live music, whether it's me or it's somebody else. So I think that that formula, I think that if we as a, uh, a music culture here on the scene had more of that uh, centered mindset, you would see a music scene like New York City or Nashville or L.A. And I think that people just think, you know, I don't have to show up at shows. I'll just play my shows, and that's that. And sometimes that works, but I feel like as a whole that doesn't work, you know, long term. Do you think that that's something you only see here, though? Yeah. Because you mentioned I, a lot of cities 
that are in a lot of different places from LA to New York. That's coast coast. And then you got Nashville in the middle. I mean, why is Miami so different? I think that there is more of a, uh, I don't know if I want to use the word selfishness, but there is a more of protect my own type of mindset. And there's, uh, more competition than unity for no reason. I feel like too, I think that, you know, when, when I'm in New, New Jersey, we finish a show and then a, a group of 20 go to another show and then you're backstage at that show supporting your friend and they say, oh, you know, when we get done here, there's a show at the at Langosta or something and then everybody goes to Langosta and it's like this pack moves around because they it helps with the politics of music, of course, on, the, on any scene, but it's not because of that. You don't do it because of that. It's just that's a benefit of it, but you do it because you fucking love live music. You know, I, if I saw one band that's doing this and there's another band that's right up the street, why am I not going to go? You know, as a, a, and I think my record sounds the way it does because of going and seeing these people that had an impact on my imagination and creativity. I left the show thinking, oh, I want to put, I want to put something like that in my music or holy shit, he was amazing. I really need to work on my guitar playing more or, uh, those lyrics, you know, were great, and they're making me think about something to write a, a song of my own. So, uh, if you're not getting that source of fuel and creativity, then you're you're alone, and you're thinking. I know. I I used to say, and it still holds true. I think there's a lot of musicians that I met that says, "Well, I play great. The you know, one day somebody's going to call me to book me." That's not how it works. You know, a lot of great musicians, unfortunately, stay home on Friday or Saturday nights. Musicians much better, much better than me. You know, I, I think the only reason I've got exposure on the scene is because of the going. Not because of, you know, maybe somebody saw performances and said, oh, that was great. I'd like to support that guy. But more than likely, they came because they said, we see Taylor everywhere. Right. No, yeah. I think uh, you're right. I think people are more inclined to give your album a listen or come check out your show if... Uh, you've been to one of their shows obviously they're going to be more inclined to come and check out your work if you have openly supported them in the past i mean it's like yo how can you say no it's like this dude came to two of our shows we can't go to one of his or you can't give his album a listen you know yeah, what i mean like guilt is big well that but it's not even you guilt tripping them it's like someone would think that in their Self own guilt. head yeah yeah for sure uh i'll take what i can get whatever it takes you to get whatever it takes to get you to the show you know yeah 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 uh i think that's awesome though man because um but going back to what you were saying about jersey uh how you can just bounce from show to show i think that's a lot easier in a city like jersey or new york or maybe even LA. I've never been. Probably true. Um, because there's a lot more venues, but here, man, I mean, they're closing down. Well, I think also, even, go excuse ahead. me, even before the COVID, they were closing down places. I mean, Creepy yeah. Tiki's not around anymore. O'Malley's got out, got bought out. Yeah, yeah. John so, Martin's and Coral Gables was a spot that really gave me one of my first starts. Uh, in Space Fort Myers, Mountain, Old Soul Brewing, yeah, closed down. Yeah, I know uh, that spot well. Uh, it uh, really shitty. Uh, that all these dope ass places are closing down. Uh, uh, what's that place in in uh, Gables? Uh, John Martin. Oh, Open Stage Club. Open Stage Club. Yeah. Oh, another cool spot. That, yeah, great you know, sound, great stage. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's really... I hated the house kit. I'll say that, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I've heard that a that, couple times. It's it's a, a great location. It's a lot of foot traffic, and um, it's a high-end looking like place. Like, you tell someone, oh, I'm playing at Open Stage Club in Gables, you know, it's Whoa, a nice wow. high-end spot, wow. you know? It's not yeah, Churchill's yeah. where you can't use the bathroom. Yeah. You know what I yes. mean? So... Uh, it's it's a bummer. All these places were closing down before COVID. So now you have uh, this situation going down and, and more places closing. Uh, you need the people 
to join in the community and go support because like you said if you just have a bunch of hermits who stay home unless it's their show how do they expect the scene to flourish and i that, think that, yeah. i've only done that one time i played at lincoln soul brewing i played an oski show there and then there happened to be a show going on at church it was like a metal festival uh so after my set i told all my bandmates yo here's one and macronium they're all playing at churches let's go we fucking rode out to Churchill's and it was fu- it, that was like one of the dopest nights ever. So doing what you said, highly recommend it. Like if there's two shows going on and you can make it to both and make like a you little party go. out of it, man, it's it's one of the dopest uh, things you can do, especially the camaraderie of going with your bands. Um, and uh, when you know the bands that are playing, they're obviously going to see them and they're like surprised to see you and shit. Yeah. Just what you were saying. Yeah, there's, there's all different elements at play. And I think also in Miami, people traveling is a much bigger deal than I've seen anywhere else. You know, if I have a show in Kindle, a lot of my friends are like, whoa, in Kindle, you know, like I got to pack a bag to go to the show in Kindle, you know, because I might get lost. Right. And uh, I'm thinking, it's, yeah, it's, that's fucking, true. It's, it's 30 minutes, it's 40 minutes. You know, uh, my a buddy told me from Fort Lauderdale, you know, Chris Clark from No Traffic. Yeah, I know Chris one Clark. One of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, really like a brother to me. I got to have him on the show soon. I haven't of had course. him since before his last album came out. The new out. album's great. The new album's great. I think it's uh, No Man's Land is the new album. And uh, he told me early on in Miami, I was like, man, it's like 35, 40 minutes to your house. And he says, everywhere in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, everywhere's 30 minutes. And he's right, you know, so... To me, with all the traveling, to go anywhere in Miami to see a show is not a big deal. But I think that there are a lot of people. I have a, a comedy buddy, and he hadn't been doing anything for in a while. One of the strongest comedians in the area, Sergio Mendez. And I said, you know, I'm doing a show at this wine bar in Kendall. It's uh, Vasile Wine Bar. We've been doing a lot of shows there during COVID. He's been a huge supporter of, of the solo acoustic musician during COVID when no one else would do it. And uh, he said... Uh, I said, you could come and open for me and do 15 minutes or, you know, do seven and then do seven intermission. I'll let you do whatever you like. And he's like, yeah, it's it's in Kindle, though. And I was like, you haven't you haven't performed in a while. Get your ass down to Kindle. You can perform in front of a, a big audience. He's like, OK, I'll come. But I know that that's people that they feel that way that, oh, man, if I live in Sweetwater to go all the way to Miami Gardens is a long way, you know, or. Uh, if I live in uh, a little Haiti to go to Kendall is a long way. No, right. like if it, you can't put a price tag or a gas tag on the impact that a performer might have on you. you you'll drive home that night on, on a high better than any drug can give you saying, man, that was great. You know, I feel like now I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's mainly the re- reason I go out for it is fuel. It's great to see my friends, you know, uh, but I go out to try to gain something every night, a little bit of fuel for the fire or something that I'm not doing that I want to do. You know, that's the, the benefit of going out and, and sing live. So Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think there's definitely something different to seeing a band or an artist perform live uh, versus just listening to the record. Uh, it adds something to the performance for sure. Uh, or it adds something to the experience even of listening to that song for the rest of your life. Like, uh, there's songs that I heard uh, someone play live that every time I hear it in the car, I think back to that moment where I heard it live. Yeah, well, you're you're a musician, I'm assuming, for different reasons but one of the reasons was at some point you saw something whether it was a youtube video or you saw somebody live and it had an impact on you it set you in a direction i mean uh, if it wasn't for that then there's no logical reason to be a musician nowadays you know it's not it's not you know my previous two girlfriends when i met their parents and they said oh he's a musician i might as well have said that he's a a crack addict you know and uh (laughs) 
so, but uh, when I was young, I saw, I, I wasn't into superheroes like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. But uh, when I was young, my parents took me to a Bruce Springsteen concert. Yeah. And all the lights are on. There's thousands of people. Then all the lights go out out of nowhere. And everyone's screaming. And as a young kid, when I was seven or eight, that's terrifying. You know, everything's dark. You're, you're feeling that ang- early anxiety. And the band would come out on the stage one at a time. And then when Bruce would come out, they'd go, Bruce. And it would be a whole 20,000 people doing it. And then out of nowhere, there's nothing. There's nothing. Just us. And then out of nowhere, when the band starts playing, something's created out of nothing. And I, even at a young age, I felt that. You know, I met a guy at, at one my early spring scene show that I went to, and he could tell that I knew some of the material at a very young age. And he was a blind guy, and he set he went to all the shows. He just had uh, obviously an insane amount of money, traveled the world, and saw Bruce everywhere. Um, and he told me, he says, "I'll send you some CDs." You know told my parents and we just thought yeah 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 sure sure you will you know and by god you know i was 12 13 years old and uh we got a huge box in the mail of bootlegs from all from stockholm and madrid and frankfurt and you know places across the united states and to this day i have 40 50 cds springsteen live in vegas and he made all the custom covers and recorded all the bootlegs and mixed them and put them out so the fans could have them so what the yeah, fuck man pretty, that's so cool pretty pretty crazy the bruce's lead guitar or one of his lead guitar players Niels lofgren who plays with neil young um his wife was next to us one night at a show and i was singing along the whole night and she said uh she said, you know what, let me go get something. She went and got Bruce's handwritten set list. She got a piece of broken tambourine off of uh, Clarence's uh, tambourine. She got, uh, they were doing, it was December, they were doing Santa Claus is coming to town. She got me one of their Santa hats. So I mentioned all that because you see that, uh, that it has an impact on people from eight years old to 50 to 60, no matter what your walk of life is. And it was those things that made me say, even if I could have a tenth of the impact of one of these guys over the next 50 years of my life and leave behind stuff that will live on after I die, which nothing does that better than music, I feel like. Uh, maybe the Bible, but that's probably about it. Uh, then that's that's a life worth living. You know? Yeah, I remember the first metal show that I went to. It was uh, Metallica, Lamb of God, and uh, Gojira. Um, but I remember... I wasn't a big Lamb of God fan. I wasn't a big Gojira fan. I was there to see Metallica. And fucking, yeah. When they fucking, and when Ecstasy of Gold is playing and, and they're coming out on stage and they fucking kick into the song and shit. I just, I remember like the feeling that I had, bro. It was, it was a magical fucking experience. You? I was 13. And how old are you now? I'm 24. So 11 years later, almost half your life later, you can still tap into that feeling in any moment. Yeah. You know? And I remember after the show, uh, me and my cousin fucking ran down because they're you know throwing picks, doing all this crazy shit, and uh, um, I remember running down to like the hundred section because we were up in like the three hundreds, and you know James Hetfield is there throwing picks and talking to people like from the stage, and I run over and me and my cousin are yelling, James, we love you, like, just going off. <laughs> yes, and I remember specifically he pointed at me and made eye contact with me and like. That was it. You, like, you were, from that moment, I, I remember that moment still to this day. And you, it's were, just, you were blessed when the, when crazy. the, when the lady, um, I'm going to totally screw this story up, but uh, she, I think she was a leopard or something like that, when she touched Jesus and Jesus looked back at her and said, you're healed. You know, <laughs> That was that moment for musicians. You know, uh, One of the concerts, I think it was Columbus, maybe 2002, Bruce was doing his, uh, he did a 9-11 record. And uh, 
it was fantastic. It was really necessary for the country at that time. And I was like 12 years old. We went to like th 14 shows in an RV. Me, my dad, my mom, and my my uncle Rex. Dude, that's so badass. Yeah, it was awesome. It was uh, it's unbelievable. It says a lot about my parents, and my parents are a big reason why I do music now because of all the great music they turned me on to, and really had no idea at the time the impact it was going to have on me. Um, I remember that uh, Columbus, Ohio, they were playing Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and Bruce was walking along the side stage, and uh, he pointed right at me, and he says, uh, it's past your bedtime, young man. And uh, I had, and my parents had got me out of school the next day to go see Bruce Springsteen. I mean, you know, that kind of is the uh, greatest story for uh, a music starting career that I can imagine. And uh, I, think, I think about that now, you know. So, yeah, I think that is that moment of, you know, you're supposed to be, you can't ever honor the people that had an impact on you you can't give them a payback except for to go out and try to do it yourself i feel like and so that was my way of doing it you know was to just hopefully i can write you know if i write 500 songs hopefully i can write 10 or 15 that have an impact on people that they think about forever you know that's the that's the goal yeah, I think uh, it's crazy little moments like that that you remember for the rest of your life, or how shit comes around full circle. Like you were uh, anointed by Metallica. Yeah, never, never forget way. that. In a weird way, you know, uh, or uh, it came full circle with uh, when the first time I saw Avenged Sevenfold uh, at the end of the show. Um, you know, throwing picks out and stuff, and I ended up catching a, a guitar pick from the bass player Johnny <laughs> Christ. And Super cool. Fucking uh, six years later, I'm interviewing Johnny Christ on my podcast. So. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how shit works like that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I I grew up listening to Bruce talk, the first record, Greetings from Asbury Park, you know, and envisioning this amazing place. And, uh, and you know, one of his songs off Darkness on the Edge of Town, Something in the Night, the first line is, I'm writing down Kingsley, figuring I'll get a drink. Uh, I turn the radio up loud so I don't have to think. And uh, we've been lucky a couple times. We played on Kingsley Avenue a few times in Asbury, which was just, I didn't even care how the show went. Just to be playing on Kingsley was awesome. And then um, where uh, Bruce met Clarence, the saxophone player who he's leaning against on the cover of Born to Run, um, I ended up going on tour with Clarence's son. We become really good friends. And uh, uh, they, they got their first start in the place that Bruce and Clarence met for the first time was a place on Kingsley called, uh, the student Prince. It was like a club with a small little stage. And that's where they played when they were first getting started Well, the student Prince is now a place called Porta. It's an Italian restaurant. So we did a tour dinner with some of our sponsors and some of our friends and uh, family up there. And, uh, we did the dinner specifically at Porta. We called them and we said, this is the reason we want to do the dinner here, you know, and I bet no one else comes in your restaurant thinking about this, but we want to do the dinner here and we want to have the table right where the stage used to be so that we can be having dinner knowing that the history of rock and roll and we wouldn't be here without the student prince. So that, that, that was special, you know, to do the dinner there. And they let uh, you do it? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Wow. That's so yeah. dope. Yeah. They gave us like a 15% discount and uh, <laughs> set us all at a table. Very and cool. It was cool. Yeah. We, uh, we we've been backstage at convention hall which has been around for over 100 years in asbury we played the brighton bar which is two blocks away from where bruce were born to run we went oh. to the house beforehand and just stood outside the house and played some played the album and listened to it then went back and did our show so history plays an important important part for me in the whole thing and uh mainly in new jersey there's so much history there you know for me so why new jersey Springsteen, really. 
you know. Is he from there? Yeah. I yeah. don't know too much about him. He's okay. He's so he's from, from free, Jersey. He's from Freehold. A lot of people, you know, uh, Bon Jovi. He's from New Jersey. He's from New Jersey too. Yep. Yep. And oh, wow. um, I have no idea. So we just uh, about a let's see. It was December of 2018. A little bit after I moved here, and uh, I had been friendly with with Clarence's son a little bit, and. Uh, I drove up to Zephyr Hills, Central Florida, to record and, and play some music with him for three or four days. And um, then he hits me up in December. He says, uh, hey, this Big Light of Day festival they have every year in New Jersey. They play for a week, shows everywhere, and they raise money for Parkinson's. Um, and it was started by this guy named Bob Benjamin. And Bruce let them use Light of Day was one of his songs used the title Bruce has played for free multiple times and they raise I think in the last 20 years they've raised seven or eight million dollars just in New Jersey but then they've opened light a day up it's in Canada it's in uh, Sweden it's in Italy so they have different light of days that musicians go to and they play and it's 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 just great and uh, so he's like we we got to play light a day Canada and we need to plan a tour and it was a month away you know every tour is really planned three or four months out and I was like, trying to get booked on the East Coast a month away is, you know, a real tough task, almost impossible. And he, all he said was, well, you can do it. Call me when you know something. I was like, shit, you know. So I just started making phone calls. We played a lot of shows on the first tour. We've done two tours together. And the first tour, we played a lot of shows for free, you know. And we have all that driving and expense. But we did it just to try to gain exposure because if you can get good exposure, then you don't have to come back for free again. And... Um, we were lucky. We were able to get booked on a lot of shows, and we were able to play on a Light of Day event on the big day, which is the last Saturday. And it was all because of Bruce, you know. It was the impact that him and the band had on the scene there. Is It was great for a long time, and then it died for, and so did Asbury Park, died for you know, 15, 20 years. And then starting in about 2012, 13, it started having a renaissance, mainly because of uh, my friend Danny Clinch. He's a photographer there. He's taking pictures of all the big folks, uh, REM, uh, Fish, um, Radiohead. He's done oh, wow. Petty and Johnny Cash. He took Springsteen's last record cover. Well, he's got a photo gallery there where he sells his photos to people all over the world, but he also puts on live music. And he's let, we've played there four or five times. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to be a part of the history. When I took Clemens for the first time, I, I knew where the house was that Bruce wrote, Darkness on the Edge of Town and the River. So we went to that house, and there's a tour photo outside that Bruce took with the band. And I told Jared, I said, here's the photo. That's where your dad's standing. Go stand right there. Let's take a picture. And there's something about being, I don't believe in ghosts or anything like that, but if I did believe in it, then you really feel ghosts when you're there. You feel like the spirit of the music is then these guys that had so much of an impact on the scene that they're there with you. And the fact you get to be a, at least a small part of that is, those were my young dreams. You know, it wasn't about getting some big record deal or being famous. It was about just being able to say, yeah, I played on the scene in Asbury Park. You know, I you know, became friends with all these musicians. We did stuff that had an impact together. That that was, you know, an early dream and still a dream, you know, that I, I work every day on. Yeah, I think, uh, that you know, little goals that you meet that uh, might not necessarily be uh, big accomplishments to other people, 
uh, is some of the most fulfilling reasons to be a musician. Like uh, when I got to play Revolution live, like um, huge, yeah, huge. it's an ama- it's an amazing venue. I literally went to shows there as as a kid growing up in high school and, and stuff like there. that. And yeah. backstage, seeing the flyers of the shows that I went to on the walls and stuff, like holy shit, I was yeah. here on that day. I was here on that day, and like yeah. now I'm here. You're on always stage. just trying to be one of those guys, especially early on. You just want to be one of those guys. You yeah. know, Springsteen said that. Uh, when he was first starting out, he would go to a, a Jersey Shore Beach Jam, and there'd be guys in a circle doing a pass around, you know, like, I play a song, you play a song, we all sit in on it, we sing on it. And he's like, and my earliest dreams was if I could just be one of those guys, you know, that would be enough. And I think that that's still something that I think about, you know. Um, the Stone Pony is the most legendary venue on the Jersey Shore, and uh I always wanted to play there. In 2016, I went to Asbury for the first time, I stepped on the stage, I took a picture in the guitar pose. I didn't even have a guitar. And then uh, January of 2020, so a little over four years later, a good friend of mine who's in a, uh, a rock band, uh, Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son, one of my, probably my favorite band in, in New Jersey by far, uh, they they had a gig for Light of Day on a Friday night, you know, right before the big Saturday. And he knew I was in. Uh, he they were down here in Miami. I uh, booked them a couple shows in Miami. They played at Lincoln's Beard Brewing Company. Yeah. And um, after the show, we were all hanging back at the hotel. He's like, "So, are you going to come to New Jersey soon?" I was like, "Well, you know, I don't really have anything planned. I don't have anything that's pulling me there." And that's really a lot of tours start by one event or two events pulling you there. Then you book the tour around it. And he said, uh, "Well, you know, we're going to be playing on Friday night at the Stone Pony." And he says, uh, why don't you come up and play with us? And then we have an after party at the Asbury Hotel. You could play on that, too. So there was my reasons to go. So then I booked the tour around. And then that Friday night, you know, in front of 1,200 people, he said, uh, he said, I'm going to bring my friend Taylor Davis from Miami. And I came up and got to step on the legendary stage, which is just uh, still it's been a year. And I still can't believe that it happened. I'm, I'm still reeling from it. And uh Got on stage, played a song with them, and uh, with an electric, by the way. And, Very uh, nice. And at the end of it, I was just like, uh, I was suspended. A better high, like I said earlier, than you can get from any drug. And that's what music really provides for me is just this feeling of elation and and sus- suspension. Like when you're a kid and you go on the roller coaster for the first time, you just your your heart's up in you know it's it's up in your your lungs. And uh, so yeah, that's it's I'm, I'm always trying to do justice to the young guy that felt the impact of the music for the first time when I was like seven or eight years old. Yeah, uh, I feel like um, I really I really miss that feeling uh, of being that that elation you feel after playing a show uh and and you finally at least for me like put all your shit away <laughs> yeah you know once nothing I'm else matters and shit and you can just chill and watch the rest of the night watch your friend's sets have a smoke have a drink whatever it is i personally don't like drinking before a set because i get sloppy yeah 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 i've uh, been known to have that happen <laughs> <laughs> I, that's just I, I did it one time dude i didn't even get drunk i just had a, a beer or two and i fucked up like like one specific song in the same spot when it came around both times in yeah, the song yeah like the same exact section of the song so i was just like all right well this is not for me i can smoke before i play i can't drink before i play yeah i think that uh my buddy told me before that movie show he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna get a nice buzz before the show i said i'm, I'm not gonna drink i said because uh 
some people have seen me play a drunk show and, I, <laughs> and they'll be able to recognize the signs and I'm trying to I'm trying to kill it tonight but yeah I think that uh when you're playing like that when it's your time to play nothing else matters your girlfriend can be mad at you someone could have shot the dog you don't have enough money to pay your bills you don't have enough money to get groceries you got a flat tire your shirt has a spaghetti stain on it whatever but in that moment when you're playing, if you want to do it right, nothing else matters. And that's nice. It's nice to know that this is all I have right now. You know, the moment is now. It only counts now. I can never get tonight back. So I might as well do the best I can. Yeah. No, I feel you, man. Um, I, I kind of just, uh, at this point, it's like, um, well, with my specific band, um, trying to get back on stage has been quite a, a mission you know just uh we were a five piece and now we're pretty much like a three piece so trying to figure out the sound if we're gonna stick to the same material we're playing with a keyboardist and a second guitarist just with a bass guitar and drums um so it's uh you know added vocals too from the other two members um I don't know. It's just uh, I, I've been trying to explore some kind of way where I can make music on my own. So I really respect what you do. Thank you. The fact that you produced your own album, you wrote everything yourself, you recorded it all yourself. Like that shit takes patience. It takes dedication. Like I've sat in here and fucked around with an acoustic guitar and just try to record like a cover, you know, just to see what kind of work went into it. And I hated how it sounded, you know what I mean? Like I hated hearing my own voice back and stuff and trying to be critical and, and really trying to be real with yourself. Does this sound good? Does this sound bad? Does this, you know what I mean? But also drawing the line of, am I being overcritical? You know what I mean? Like I, I've mentioned on the show where I, I want to write songs um, for guitar or whatever, write um, melodies and stuff like that but i'm really critical on myself if i write a song or lyrics and stuff like that i uh i feel like it's too cheesy or it's too personal or whatever and um recently with a, a side project that i've been working with um with a couple buddies um i've been more open in that regard and presenting them with song ideas and stuff yeah. and they've been very open like whether it's good or bad criticism you know what i mean um and it's helped me come out of my shell a bit, but I kind of want to do a little bit more of what you do, man. So I guess like if you wanted to give advice to somebody who wanted to start out, um, maybe with minimal guitar experience or minimal music experience in general, maybe not just even to me specifically to anyone, like what would be some advice you could give to someone? Well, it all starts with the songs. You have to have strong songs, you know, and... Uh I made the mistake of, uh, which I won't do in the future, but everything is learning, you know, is that when you have something that you know you're going to use musically, record it right then and there. And what I did was I just knew I had something and maybe the lyrics weren't done, so I just left it alone and then I would pick up the guitar a few weeks later and maybe add a line or add a second line. Now, I, I know now from the experience, if I have something that I know I'm going to use musically that I like... I'm going to record it right then and there. I'm going, because the biggest thing for me was that with live, sometimes in a song, in one song, I'll play up tempo, you know, and then it'll die down and then I'll build it back up. But when you record an album, you know, tempo is everything, playing to that click. So that was very difficult for me, you know, and some of the guitar takes took an insane amount of takes in order to get it right. You know, I'd send it to my mixing and mastering guy. He'd be like, no, it's not there yet. You got to do it again. And I'd be thinking, fuck, you know, like, I, I can't believe that I had to do this again. And then you start liking your song less e ever, oh, every yeah. take. Yeah. So you have to just get through that. If you know it's a good song, you know it's a good song. And the journey to get it out is one that you have to believe so much in the song from its early stages to finality. 
if not, you will give up on it. So I guess I would say keep faith in your song if you really believe in it. That's very important. And know that even the greatest songs usually start out with problems, and they start out with, you know, oh, this is not going to work. And sometimes just pushing through that little extra mile will get it where you want to get it. And um, and also not be afraid, even as a solo artist. I mean, I have a lot of friends on this album that I recorded the basic stuff and got the basic stuff laid down, the platform. And then I would be like, you know what? Uh, my friend Dylan Schindler, who's a great artist from Pennsylvania, he would sound great playing keyboards on this. So I'd send the song to Dylan, and he would you know, say, oh, I love this. And he put keyboards on it. And then he said, you know what? I want to put bass on it, too. I'd say, oh, go ahead. you know, Go ahead and put... I, I trust my music friends. you know. I don't ever try to say, well, play like this and play like that. No, like if I want you on, then I love the way you play as you play. So right. just do what you want to do. Yes. So I I firmly believe in bringing people in. You know, Bobby Mahoney, I mentioned, is on After the Fire. Um, I had Danny Gochnar from Joker Shecky and the House Rockers, which is a huge band out of Pittsburgh. They played with Springsteen plenty of times. Uh, Joe's lead guitar player, Danny Gochnar, played on At Night in the Dark. Uh, and totally turned the song into like a, the way he's playing guitar is like the edge or something like that. These notes are bouncing back and forth off of each other. So don't be afraid to bring people in, you know, to, you don't have to do everything yourself. You know, I, uh, I, Chris Clark plays bass on A Night in the Dark and Black Dog. Um, my friend Ryan Battle plays some backing guitar on Cold in July. My girl sings on uh, Drowning and Gone, and uh, so I'm not opposed to asking for help. It it's a solo record, but it's uh, my when I hear it, I hear my friends on it, you know, and that's that's really important. So uh, I would just say, believe in your song if you feel like it's worth believing in. It's a journey from the moment you say I believe in it. Now let's get it, you know, on wax. That's a journey. Be patient, and I'm not a patient person, but I've learned through time to be patient with the with the music. Um, and, uh, yeah, it all just stems back to that believe in yourself a shit ton. Uh, I've been told that artists have these two conflicting mindsets. One side of your brain says, I'm the greatest thing I've ever heard. And the other side says, you're shit. <laughs> and totally. you have to believe both of them simultaneously and use them. So there's some nights I leave the studio thinking that song's never going to get done. I'm wasting, you're wasting your time. You suck. You know, but then you think about the song randomly 10 days later and you say, that's a great song. That's going to change people's lives. You got to do it, you know, and as long as you stay in the middle and you don't veer either way, if you veer one way, you're too, you know, you're too full of yourself. If you veer the other way, you're too self-deprecating. So if you stay right in the middle, keep your patience, then I believe that good things come out for people. Yeah, I think that's, like you said, it's the fine line because we're all our worst critics. Um, but obviously, you don't become a musician without having some kind of self-confidence and belief in, in your art and your message. Uh, I think just finding your, your sound or finding what your message, uh, what you want it to be, uh, what you want your music to make people feel, um, I guess, is a journey that everyone has to find their own way. Uh I just, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I would love to be a, a, a songwriter like that. You're a very talented man. There's Excuse no reason me. that you can't do it. Yeah, I feel you, bro. Um, but there's that side of my brain that's just like, you're shit. You're yeah. fucking garbage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and let me tell you something from an outsider. Maybe you're, that's you're a mental not. health thing, you know? It is. It is. It is. There, There's a thin line between great creativity and uh, insanity and mental health. I really believe that. I think that... Like I said, you wouldn't get in this career if not for a little bit of craziness, you know. And um, 
I think that my only form of therapy is it, and it is to record it, put it out. And then once you put it out, that moment of elation where you can't touch it anymore, there's no edit here, there's no edit there, it's, it's out there. And then you listen back to it, you're listening to it, hopefully, as I'm not listening to it as, oh, this is me. I'm, li- I'm trying my best to listen to it as if I'm just an outsider. And um, I think that you begin to realize that if you had a good therapy session with it, then it's going to help other people. And what a better way to have therapy than to use it as a as a helper for other people. And that's, I think of myself more as storyteller, lyricist, hopefully uh, someone that can lyrically connect with you than I think of myself as a musician. I've been a musician for, like, actually playing for four or five years. That's it? That's it, yeah. You're awesome dude that's crazy <laughs> thank you i don't know how to respond to that but thank you uh but lyrically i've been writing since i was like six or seven years old fictional stories poetry i was in the yearbook writing and uh sports magazine was a class they offered freshman year but you can only get in if you were a senior so i had enough persistence and annoyance to annoy the teacher to let me be in it and i was the only freshman in it and none of my stories really ever got approved because the the journalism pro that's actually what i wanted to do early on like when i was 14 i was want to be a journalist you know i wanted to write about music and other things but then i learned that when you had to go through nine edits to get your you know whatever you know put on in the paper or in the magazine i'm like you know what that's if I'm going to edit something nine times, then it's going to be something that I put out on my own, you know, and all these things influenced me to move towards singer songwriter stuff. But I think that, uh, yeah, you just got to, you know, especially you, you're a talented guy, you know, that, but this is, un- this is still uncharted territory for you. So when you first got to drumming, you weren't, you know, Keith Moon, when you started drumming, you were, you had to work to get there. It's the same thing with the, with the solo recording. Yeah. You know, you know what I, I think, uh, I'm a very impatient person. So like when I see that I want to do something, like I want to do it tomorrow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Me too. Me too. But there was a, there was a, and I feel like right now in the place that I'm in, um, it's not organic. It's like, it's something that I want. Um, like on a materialistic level, almost like I want to be that guy on stage or whatever, but it's not like, uh, there was a one point where I would come home from work and the first thing I like, I would be looking up, uh, chords and shit at work. Like, Oh, I'm going to try and play the song when I get home and, and come home. The first thing I would do is pick up the guitar play a song and start playing along to it songs that i wanted to learn songs that made me want to pick up the guitar and i would play for like an hour or two just in a row playing songs and singing and shit and getting real like therapeutic benefit out of it like i was in kind of a dark place um just with some personal shit going down and that was kind of my escape and i feel like uh right now it's more of like i said like a materialistic thing like i just want to be on stage and and be that guy or whatever but uh i want to find that that passion that I had for a while when, like I said, all I could think about was I want to learn how to play this chord or, uh, like I, I knew a lot of things that, uh, I didn't think I knew. Like I remember the first time I hit a bar chord, I was like, man, like this, that sounds nice. An F or an F minor. Um, and I remember not being able to do it and like, uh, being at my cousin's house, like frustrated, like, why can't I hit this fucking F? He's like, it's a bar chord, bro. You know, it's practice, it's practice. And I'm like, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And and when I finally got that first bar chord, man, like I was, I was hooked, man. And it just started from there. Um, and I want to light that fire again. I, I don't know how though. I would say honestly that your, your desire has to be stronger than, 
I think musicians can, I'm just speaking from personal, you know, I can be very hardworking and I can be super fucking lazy. There's, you know, I have a lot of extremes in my life, one extreme or the other. So the the desire has to be strong enough to overcome the laziness, you know, which I'm not calling, calling you lazy or anything like that. I'm speaking for myself, you know, and I, that's why I neglected recording the album for so long. Cause I was like, well, I have this live thing that I've worked on and it's, solid enough to draw an audience and it's solid enough to fill me up i'm just gonna keep doing that and i'll get to the album when i get to it then before you know it time passes yeah and you're like shit you know like i put it off for too long so it was that that created the desire and timing like you said is everything being organic but i also think somebody asked me in an interview recently they said uh do you uh, your writing process uh do you have a writing schedule and i said well you know they, some people say, I write every day. And other people say, well, I write when I'm inspired. I think those are two extremes, one on one and one on the other. If I only waited to write when I was inspired, I wouldn't write nearly as much. But I don't get up. I like to believe, I like to tell you right now that, oh, I get up at 8 a.m. and I make my tea and I meditate and then I write a song a day. That's, that's not true. But there's a thin line between you want things to come organically, but you also know that you have to put in a little bit of discipline to be able to say, okay, I'm here, muse, please visit me, you know. And I think if you do that enough, maybe it won't happen the first time or the second time or the first five times, but eventually that will happen. And you pair that with the natural creativity that you're getting, those things paired together, that's dangerous, you know, that's very dangerous. And I think that... Like White Line Prison is a song on the new record. And I had the music for a while. I knew the music was nice. It was this uh, Capo 4 E slide thing. And uh, I just loved it. I loved the music. But I couldn't come up with a melody. So I always just said, oh, well, the melody will come to me. And when it comes to me, then I will finish it. And then you can't put any words to it till you have the melody. And uh, it just wouldn't come. Eight, nine months went by. So finally, I sat down one day. I was trying to finish up parts of the album that weren't finished. I was like, I'm going to not leave this table until I come up with a melody. And it was very frustrating. And finally, I came up with a melody, and then the words came after that. So uh, Don Henley says, I'm a big Eagles fan. You know, it took the Eagles three years to make the long run, which was their last record before they broke up. And uh, he said, uh, good songwriting is 10% creativity, 90%. No, what is it? 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration. Which is like sweating. Sweating, sweating it out. Stress. You know? So I think about that all the time. You know, If I get a good initial idea and then I just have to sweat it out, and I know when I've tried to sweat it out too much and it's not working, and I'll just say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do Maybe something else. Maybe come back to this tomorrow. Or... Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to let it marinate. You know? And if I come back and there's, I come up with something, then there is something to it. If I don't, then it's it's... It's not going to work, and it's time to move on to something else. So uh, when I was young, we would do a project. Then we were doing, like, mixtapes. You know, we would do a remix mixtape, which you get the beat, you write on it, you're just trying to be punchy in every line that you do, and then you put it out. I was putting out a project, like, every three months when I was, like, 17 or 18. And then I look back and I say, you know, that was a little too fast. So it was very difficult, but I learned to be disciplined and leave things alone and let them marinate, which was important to me to learn, you know, very important. So then I, then you, you have good perspective when you go back and you can say, oh, this is shit, you know, or, oh, man, there really is something to this. I just needed some time to step away, 
So yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, I think you always need a bit of time to step back and and be able to observe your work um, from a neutral standpoint, like you said. Like this isn't me. Let me just come at it from an outside perspective. It's very hard. It's very very hard because it is you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to pretend that it's not. You know, which is very difficult. So I I'm always trying to uh, um, to say, well, if I was just a bystander and I heard this song, you know, would I would I like it? And right. what I feel the lyrics, and this is this record is the closest thing that I've got to. I had one song that I felt a little insecure about, and uh, I asked my buddy that, and I said, "Do you ever feel insecure when you put something out?" You know, and he said, "Oh yeah, all the time, all the time." And I was like, "Okay." And but then, ironically enough, the record's been out, you know, for four days, three days, something like that, and. Uh, uh, I asked a few people that are close to me. I said, what's your, what's your favorite song? And they all said this song that I was insecure about. So that made me feel good because I feel confident about the rest of it. So, um, yeah, you, you never know. And that's that's real evidence that you never know. Yeah. You never know. And sometimes you can be too involved with it. So Yeah, no, I agree, man. I think that's a perfect note to end on, brother. Uh, we've been going for over an hour. Um, but this album, what I've heard so far, uh, I really enjoy it. Um, Thank you. And thanks uh, for having me back. It really means a lot. I have a lot of respect for all the work you do here on the podcast and for having me uh, as a guest again, really, really means a lot. Good luck to you in 2021 with all that you're doing. So yeah, man, thank you. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that 2020 is over, but the nightmare hasn't ended. You know? No, people are overly <laughs> optimistic that it'll end soon. We still have too much yeah. fucking nonsense, you know, to have it end as much as we would like to. But I see a for- foreseeable future to where we'll be back to normal, hopefully. And great bands like yours will be out shredding the the places up and. Hopefully, I'll be doing my acoustic thing for for people, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I would love to um, get to a point where I could play like one of your open mic nights or something. Like that was something I was really strongly considering before COVID, like really tightening up and trying always, to come out to one of your shows. People they they tell me all the time. They say, "Well, I'd like to come, but I'm not ready yet." I'm like, "Have you been to our open mic?" Like people, they don't care about that. They right. they don't. They We see everything. But what's nice about our open mic is at Churchill's is that you see everybody. You never know what you're going to get. And you might see somebody and you go, what the hell is that? And then somebody <laughs> will come on and you'll be like, wow. That's why it's important. You know, people disappear and they come back and disappear. Throughout the night. I'm like, no, no, stay. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know when it's going to happen, when this stroke of genius is going to happen. And uh, we're actually, Panther Quartz and I from uh, the Black Market. I don't know if you know Panther. Oh, yeah. I, well, I know the Black Market. Yeah. Panther and I are starting an open mic. I forget. He hasn't even told me where the place is yet, but we're starting it as soon as a week from Wednesday. He's mm. uh, talking tomorrow, finalizing everything with the new venue. Um, and we're going to start open mic every Wednesday night. And right now there's really, besides Roots Cava, which is a great, great place to go for an open mic. And uh, I've heard of the place. The, the owners are good friends of mine, just sweet, sweet people. Uh, they, they gave me one of my first curated shows in the city that we had before COVID. Um, they have a great open mic. Um, but I think it caters to rappers and to soul musicians. And uh, the thing I miss about uh, the Open Mic at Churchill's is it catered really to whoever was bringing it. A comedian, writer, poet, musician. We've seen 
crazy shit, you know, crazy shit that I never imagined. What, I can't believe this is an act, and it was an act, you know. So we missed that a little bit. Uh, you also can't get liquor, you know, so this new place, mm-hmm. we, uh, we're going to be able to have alcohol. Yeah, Churchill's has always kind of had that no-holds-barred, like, and you could see anything on any given night there kind of vibe. Yeah, I can't even. If I told you some of the things I've seen, you wouldn't even believe me. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty fucking wild. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to do this starting, I think, January 13th, and Panther Courts and I, and he's the guy that put me on open mic at Churchill's when he was working there, and I think he's probably, him and Rio Chavarro are probably the two best curators in the city. Rio and Michelangelo, of course, do Las Rosas open mic, and Rio does the great burlesque shows all over town, but Panther is just such a hard worker. And uh, he asked me, he said, you, you feel like hosting an open mic? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, at this point, I'll really do anything just to get out of the house. And uh, I know there's plenty of musicians that have messaged me over the last six months saying, when are we going to have an open mic? When are we going to do something? I have new material I want to test out, you know. And uh, so we're going to start that January 13th. And uh, like I said, I don't know exactly where it's at yet, but... Um, he's doing events at this place, and uh, he wants to have an open mic. And right now we really have, besides Roots, we'd have the corner market on open mic right now. So come hang out. Uh, you know, I'll, as soon as I know where it is, I'll send you a message. And, yeah, uh, I'll definitely promote it on the show, man, definitely. Yeah, and uh, you come out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't Just give yourself enough credit. Cow. You're fucking crazy talented. <laughs> come out and play, man. And, yeah. Uh, we have bands that take 30 minutes to set up to play for six minutes. Jesus know? Christ. But they play for an audience, and there's somebody in the audience that says, oh, by the way, I own a brewery. Why don't you come out and play? That shit happens all the time. If it wasn't for that, you know, I wouldn't have played all the gigs that I've played. Somebody saw me play at Churchill's even before I was the host, and they said, oh, we love it. Come out and play. You yeah. Know? So, uh, yeah, and go check out A Night in the Dark. It's available on all the streaming yes. platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music. Anywhere you can download, stream, or steal music, uh, uh, farmersonly.com, Christian Mingle, wherever you get your music yeah. at, you can download the new record and check Fuck it out. Yeah. So. Well, definitely uh, make sure you guys do that. Thank you uh, so much again, Taylor, uh, Thank you, for coming through, brother. Uh, other than that, make sure you guys check out his album, and we're going to play a song for everyone right here on the pod. What, what song do you think we should You know what? I'm going to have you play to. something that we haven't played on any of the other shows. This is a Throne Podcast exclusive, uh, I guess I we like can that. call it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this song is called White Line prison and um i wrote it just about i I saw that title uh i watch a lot of i get a lot of song ideas from watching forensic files late at night uh i get stoned with my girl we fall asleep (laughs) watching forensic files it doesn't sound like it's peaceful to fall asleep to murder stories but um somebody said something about white line prison i was like oh that's that's great that's great that's a that's a title of a song so i had it and i had this music but i couldn't find the melody like i said and then uh, I started thinking about when I did find the melody. I started thinking about the road and being a white line prisoner is basically you feel like you're almost uh, a prisoner of the road. Like you only get the satisfaction from the road, and I feel that way a lot from traveling. As soon as the tour's over, I'm good for about two weeks, three weeks back in Miami, and then I'm like, damn, I'm ready to go again. Oh, so it was a combination lyrically of that and my grandfather. He passed away almost ten years ago, uh, coming up on ten years ago, and. Uh, when he passed away, my grandmother gave me a few things of his. She gave me some uh, bullets from his uh, hunting gun. She gave me a few of the rings that he used to wear. And he was actually a big traveler. He worked for Celadon Trucking, which was a trucking company out of Indianapolis. We're from Indiana. And uh, he traveled to Mississippi, where he was from, a lot. And uh, he just loved the road. He had his own RV. He had a truck with a camper top that he'd sleep in the back of. So now... 
you know, I'm traveling as a career. And so it, the song is kind of about the similarities between me and him. You know, the first line is, I still got the bullet shells from the gun you used to cock. You never killed a man, but I'm sure you thought about it a lot. Talking about humanity and manhood. And uh, it's slowly uh, becoming one of my favorites. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, of that song. And I'm proud of the record. So I hope everybody uh, enjoys it and finds at least one thing on it that they can get something out of. So For sure, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, White Line Prison. Why? 